Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Chronic. Hopefully some of you know by now, I'm your host, Lucy Pasha Robinson. I'm opinion editor at HuffPost, and I'm also a chronic illness sufferer. This week's episode is going to be a bit different because today we'll be talking about cancer, which is something that's often thought of as an acute condition. But as this week's guest explains, in many ways its effects can be chronic. This week I'm joined by comedian Karen Hobbs to discuss her relationship with sex, living with life-altering sensations, surgery complications and the long-term psychological impact of facing up to your mortality. So Karen, hello and welcome. Hi Princess. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming, but we're here. It has. It has been a long time coming indeed. The perils of trying to record a podcast during lockdown. Perils of technology. I mean, it's first world problems, isn't it? But <laughs> It is. It is. Like, we are shattered trying to get together this HuffPost podcast, guys. The technology, what a bore. Yeah. And people will be like, what is she doing? I'm kneading some clay. Uh, Lucy and her wonderful team thought, I know, let's have this really kind of like inspirational, intimate, empowering chat with the Karen Hobbs and get her to make a tit pot (laughs) at the same time. No, you're quite right. That is exactly what we thought, Karen. Um, (laughs) Today, we're going to be making gorgeous little clay tit pots inspired by Pot Your Tits Away Love, who makes these beautiful clay pots based on the female form. Um, Yeah, so hopefully, Karen, this will be a sort of meditative and calming experience for us both while we get into those those big questions. I think it'll be beautiful. It's like the equivalent of going for a walk, isn't it? It is. It is. But inside. Very much inside. But the tit version. (laughs) Um, So, Karen, you were diagnosed with cervical cancer when you were 24. Um, Yes. It must have been, obviously, a huge, life-changing, totally unexpected, completely overwhelming experience, especially at that age. (laughs) Sack of shit. That seems fair. The surgery you had was quite radical, wasn't it? Yeah, so I had all of my cervix removed because that's where the tumour was. And then I had all of the surrounding tissue because they need to kind of check that it's not gone into lymph nodes and things, which means you'd need more serious treatment like chemo and radiotherapy. Um, And then the top third of my vagina removed. Um, And, you know, my body had changed after surgery. You know, I was kind of like puffy and felt different. And the irony is that I'm like now obviously amazing but like loads bigger than I ever was even at my sort of biggest during you know post-surgery treatment and like you know my tummy is way wobblier and has a million more you know little bread rolls attached to it um than it ever did but I cared about it then because the surgery had done that to me if that makes sense um so I felt kind of really out of control of my body and I was sore and stitches and bloating and scars yeah, and it was painful. I've never experienced pain like it. 
So a lot of our listeners will be very familiar if they've experienced illness or chronic illness with these sort of unsolicited opinions that come from very sort of uh, (laughs) unexpected and uneducated people. And I know that you've spoken a lot about the stigma of being diagnosed with something like cervical cancer, which can be referred to, I, I think you referred to it as slut cancer last time we spoke. What have been some of the misconceptions kind of around that? And how did you kind of deal with them, especially at such a young age? So the thing is, look, so cancer is often associated with death and death is something we're not comfortable with. And cancer, you presume, leads to death or at least someone being very, very poorly. So there's so much awkwardness around talking about it and especially to someone that has has it, is going through it. And then when you combine cancer with vaginas well I mean you know god forbid somebody talk about their vagina in a in a positive way but then when it breaks and you get cancer the bad thing in the bad area people just absolutely lose their shit over how you got it why you got it what sort of person you are so there's one cancer opinion that I have to share I had like a receptionist job because I was doing my drama degree in the evenings but it's sort of like the building manager of this big office block by the way I knew him on and off for seven years and he always called me Claire that's not my name and then um, I'd gone off for two months to have my have my surgery and stuff I didn't really know anything about cancer or cervical cancer or gynae health or anything. I didn't know anything about my vagina until, you know, it broke. And he said to me, well, you know why you had cancer, don't you? I was thinking, oh, wow, we're going to have a great conversation about HPV, the virus that causes most cervical cancers. And he went, it's because you're a performer. What? And I said, what do you what do you mean as in like oh I was too busy to go for a smear test because I was on stage no I'm, I'm you know no one ever wants me on stage and I was too young for a smear test like that was not what happened and he said he believes that when people are performers they are kind of I guess being pretend being fake saying the lines of somebody else or saying a script or whatever and he believes that when you lie bad cells are created in your body And if you lie all the time, so I was trying to gig regularly, perform regularly. If you lie regularly, they will form a tumour. There's just so many things wrong with that, aren't there? That must have been absolutely horrible to hear. How did you react to that? He thought I had cancer because I'm a performer. I laughed because I thought it was a joke. It's funnier than anything I've ever written. And then he was deadly serious. So that's the cancer side of it oh my god and then the gyny side of it was exactly under a youtube video of a set i did somebody put slut cancer is no joke there's a real stigma and all the time i've been talking and writing and doing comedy about it since it since the bloody thing happened and people still presume and people still come to me so my day job um is not still in the office block with that man. It's at the Eve Appeal, a gynae cancer charity, so running their Ask Eve information service with a gynae nurse. Because uh, I'm a humble angel. I want to give back. And every day we speak to people that are embarrassed that they've been told they've got HPV, who are unsure if they should tell their partner that they had an abnormal cervical screening result because it means they've got HPV. You know, they it's... People presume that if you get the thing that 
you can get because you've had sexual contact, it means you've had the most amount of dirty, naughty sexual contact ever and you're a complete... You're a comp- I hate the word slut and I think we should read... You know, well, actually, I like the word. I, I hate what it means in our society. And people presume that you've been really kind of unsafe and, yeah, and promiscuous and if you've got a partner, you've been cheating on them. Someone said to me at my old job when I told them that I was going for my surgery, well, how do you get that then? And I've got this, like, cute poem. Uh, Would you have asked the same if I'd said breast, bowel or brain? You would not ask someone. If you said to me, Karen, I found a lump in my boob, I would not say, what have you done or how did you get that? I would say, I'm so fucking sorry and I'm here for you. I think especially being diagnosed in your 20s because there's that's the time of your life when you're going to go out and meet those people and... And get really drunk and like do wild things and have all the stories to tell when you're older and boring. It's incredible like how people can say such cruel and ill-informed things and live life with such naivety that they think illness won't touch them at some point. But I know for you, Karen, when you were diagnosed, the changes that happened in your life weren't all necessarily negative because you were in quite a a difficult relationship when you were diagnosed, weren't you? I was with a horrible, horrible, horrible person. And I don't know if you've had any relationship in your life where as soon as you get out of it, it is like seeing the wood through the trees. And it sounds so cheesy, but you had to get out of it and look back to know how horrific it was. I was 24 at the time. And he, I'm just going to start to roll a tit as I tell you about this complete tit of a man. Also, I was just about to say, uh, I need to wrap this in aluminium. And and I was like, there's no end to this aluminium. It's a metal rolling pin. Uh, so that's, that's why. Um, so he, yeah, so we, he was a lot older. Like, he's well into his 50s now. Um, and how he behaved... He never came with me to any appointments. He would always leave that to my mum or or close girlfriends. Um, And they were really happy to do that and everybody was really supportive. But I think your partner should be with you if you want them with you. And I kept asking him and, you know, he just never could. So that was how he sort of was about it all. And then we moved in together. And then three weeks after moving in together, I found out that, nine months of the relationship he'd been you know he'd had someone else in our bed this woman um I I was I was about to say this woman messaged me uh who I didn't know and she and I've got a knife in my hand at this point because I'm gonna cut the clay and it just makes me look really aggressive because like this woman emailed me photographs of her holding my boyfriend's penis in her hand and he was attached to the penis. Wait, what? He was sort of mid-treatment, right? So so the first time I found out... Well, the first time I found out he was cheating, um, he... Uh, so I am fully in support of sex work. Sex workers' rights and friends that are sex workers and all of that sort of thing. But I don't think it's OK if you've got a partner for them not to know about it. So he whilst I was in hospital, was working uh, as a male prostitute. And I didn't know about it until after we had sex for the first time post-surgery. 
and we were looking at something on his phone and you know when on whatsapp you can see like the first line of the message without going into it Mm -hmm. so someone messaged him it was a saved contact they said hi mark are you free and his name isn't mark babe so the warning signs were there so i asked to see the message and it turns out it was this guy that was booking him to see his wife again because uh, the couple themselves were having sex for whatever reason uh, and yeah and I looked at the dates and stuff and it turns out he'd been going you know whilst I was in hospital to do this work his excuse was that he was buying a property and needed the money for stamp duty and I think this is interesting because I don't believe if I hadn't been poorly and so vulnerable in the moment that I found out that this sex stuff had been going on I don't think I would have stayed with him, but I did for another nine months or so. And then I ended it when I found out about the other person. And you were saying that um, when you did come to be intimate again with your then terrible boyfriend, it was painful. And I know that part of your self-discovery after surgery and after leaving this ex was rediscovering your sexuality by yourself. How did you start with that? How did you know that that was the way to go? And how did you get to know that kind of new body and the the new sensations? So my problem was I, I felt so tense and stressed by what had happened to my body that I found it difficult to relax. And I had waited the, like, recommended time, you know, after surgery. Yeah, so it was really painful when we had sex the first time after surgery. So we had penetrative penis and vagina sex, because uh, that's what I'm into. Um, and it was really painful, so I didn't enjoy it. And then it also can be quite triggering because gynae anatomy it feels like it is a doctor's sometimes it feels like it's in it's a medical thing that's going on so sometimes it's hard to feel non-medical about that area so before my diagnosis I I hadn't not masturbated but I hadn't really gotten into it it sounds like it's a career choice doesn't it and I hadn't really gotten into it wasn't really that familiar with that sort of stuff I just sort of would have sex with a guy I fancied or my boyfriend and not really think much more of it well I just started touching myself didn't I I had to learn that kind of not everything is about the vulva and the vagina and uh, and uh, yeah just getting used to kind of enjoying other parts of my body and I really found that having a warm bath and the water's really warm and soapy and like I think I'd felt with partners that there's a kind of like rush to either come or pretend you've come, you know, that sort of thing. I didn't want, I'd always feel guilty if a partner was sort of taking their time over giving me a good time, which is not a healthy approach either. But again, I didn't, I didn't really know any better. Um, so it was really kind of gorgeous for a few months to just sort of just enjoy myself and explore for the first time properly focused on my clitoris because I felt too sore to go inside because of the surgery so I had kind of no other choice other than to focus on my clitoris and got like a little toy that kind of like sucks on the clitoris and that was amazing I'd never experienced anything like that and you start to sort of think like oh my god I can enjoy I can have an orgasm and feel sexy and good and um forgiving of myself and comfortable and confident and I don't necessarily um it's great if there's somebody there but I don't I don't need a partner there to validate all of that and what an amazing discovery to have at 25 26 to learn about your sexuality in that way would you say that was one of the sides of like having cancer that ended up 
having a really kind of positive effect on your well-being moving forward? Completely. So part part of me still feels that if something so bad can happen at 24, I'm doomed. You know, I did a drama degree. Like, I'm dramatic. I'm doomed for bad things and all of that sort of stuff. The other half of me, I think I've sort of spoken about this before, of feeling half fragile and half invincible. And the invincible part of me is so excited that I get to be here and is so grateful, you know, lost a bit of my vag. It's still, you know, I've still got a great vulva that can enjoy all sorts of sensations and I can still enjoy vaginal penetration. I just have to kind of be perhaps careful about some of the positions when I'm with someone about, say, going a bit deeper, it's a bit sore, more sore than it was, you know, in the years BC. And yeah, it definitely gave me a... Well, it's the cheesiest thing ever, isn't it? You know, like, it took almost dying to start living. Uh, But it did in the sort of sexual sense of, you know, my body didn't give up, so I'm going to damn well enjoy it. And Karen, I know, like, for you, that's how you got into comedy, right? You decided if, you know, this is my perfect material, I'm going to quit my day job. No, in fact, you moved into a different day job, didn't you? I did. I'm having a little bit of an emotion, uh, but also I started getting a bit upset, but then was like, I'm tearing up, but I'm also rolling a nipple. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about what you were saying, and yes, that is how I got into comedy, because I'd always wanted to do it, and when I got diagnosed, I just thought, if I've not got five minutes of material out of this you know, then the whole thing's not been worth it. This whole cancer debacle was not worth it if I can't do five minutes of comedy. And I also just felt like, kind of what we were saying earlier, you get so used to your body being this sort of vehicle for medicine and vehicle for doctors, and and quite right, as it should be, because that's why we're able to sit having this chat, because, you know, people that are doctors have looked after us... But I also wanted to be able to balance being in the doctor's hands or their hands in me. I wanted to balance that with telling the story of how it all came about and what it's like to have their hands in me, etc. I wanted to tell it on my terms and not and not for it just to be... Oh, I see, this is the thing. Now I'm crying when I'm talking about comedy and people will be like, I'm never going to go and watch her. She just cries. It's like the worst advertisement ever for a comedian. Um, I didn't want what happened to me to just be at the end of the day, you know, if I died or not, if I died when I'm 90 or died, you know, on the operating table. I didn't want what happened to be just a pile of notes, a pile of doctor's notes, and for that to be the kind of evidence that I was there and that tumour happened and on that day it was removed. You know, I wanted to... If I could tell it in the way I wanted to tell it, then it was my way of taking control back when I lost control over my body. So if I was able to stand on the stage and with the body that I'm in and joke about the bad things that happened to it, then it's it's kind of like I've won, even though I hate the word winning and things when it comes to cancer. And that was really important for me. But you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to wait for something to almost be taken away from you before you do it. But sometimes it is just that wake-up call, I suppose, especially in your 20s. I mean, my diagnosis wasn't a life-threatening diagnosis. 
and it still gave me that jolt. It made me realise, like... And it's still a sack of shit, Liz. Just because you've not had cancer, it doesn't mean you've not gone through the absolute ringer and, and have done, in a way, a lot more than me because yours is ongoing, you know? Like, it's... it's. I think it's important to caveat because because I never had... I've never had that worry with my illness. It's been extremely annoying and it has affected my life and it's affected how, how my quality of life, but I've never had that fear for my life. And and I think that it is important to to differentiate that. But but even so, I still ended up quitting my job. I retrained. That's when I decided to go into journalism, became much more kind of activist in my views about women's health. Um, mm. So it is, it's a cliche, but it does give you a jolt, doesn't it? Especially in your 20s mm. when otherwise you you tend to be quite complacent about, about these issues, I think. I think you can be until something perhaps further down the line opens your eyes for you. Whenever, I don't know, you know, life gets hard or, I don't know, there's something shitty going on, I just remember, and it's not, I don't know, a necessarily healthy way to, to do it, but I just remember what it was like being told when I sat down with my mum and after a scan and biopsy and they said, okay, so it is cancer. Like, that's hopefully the worst thing I'll hear in my life. So if I can get through something like that, I need to kind of remember that when I feel like I'm not able to cope with the other things that come after it in life, because it's life. What about that fear now? I mean, do you still live with that that fear of, of recurrence, um, of what the future holds? How do you live with that fear? Every single time I know I've got a checkup coming up, I imagine... And in a way, fantasise about being told, oh, it's back, or there's some bad news. And it's kind of, it's a lot of morbid curiosity, isn't it? Because you sort of, you do think, oh, what would happen if, if it was back and I had to, if I was, if I had to be poorly again? And I don't want to be, but part of me feels it's inevitable. And I know that's because the horrible thing has already happened so I feel it's inevitable that it will happen again because whilst I'm really do feel partly invincible the other half of me is also so scared it's actually a really interesting kind of duality I suppose of living with an almost increased level of like fearlessness and like not giving a fuck and like thinking actually I'm Mm. gonna push myself harder than I've ever pushed myself and I can do anything and I'm fearless and powerful while also wearing your vulnerability on your sleeve and being so aware of your suddenly having your eyes open to your own mortality in a way that a lot of people just don't don't have or or will only happen to them when they're much older and perhaps have already mm. seen friends go through it or mm. it definitely feels like it kind of opens you up to the yeah the fuck it side like god if i have a bad gig or something Obviously, I want to do well, but sort of, fuck it, I'll say that thing or try that thing, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, and that might have mortified me if I tried stand-up before having cancer, but then I had to have cancer for me in order to try stand-up, and it's now, you know, all I can ever imagine wanting to do. But it's also the... It also opens you up to, I don't know, like, the cancer club. It's... People, it, when you have cancer, all of your friends start dying of cancer. And it's not because it's contagious, um, which is not, uh, but it's because you 
meet people who have gone through similar experiences to you. That's the power of the internet. That's the power of being kind of open with what you're going through. You'll meet similar people. But sometimes, because you're meeting them under the circumstances of cancer, sometimes these people aren't necessarily in your life for as long as you would like them to be. And that's that's really hard as well. And then you think, God, I'm like 30 and I have to keep saying goodbye to people. And it's just not... And But then when somebody who you've met in the cancer sort of community passes away, it then also really selfishly gives the people that are still alive that sort of kick up the arse of, like, I'm so grateful I'm still here, so I'm going to make sure I do X, Y, Z. So it's kind of, it's it's so painful, but it's also a reminder. Um, even though somebody dying shouldn't be a reminder for you to carry on, you know, living your best life. Um, but yeah, it's just how it works. It's, su- it's such a lot to carry with you. And I really, really appreciate you talking so candidly about it, Karen. Um, of course I'm sorry I kept crying no please don't be sorry please don't be sorry it's such a hopefully people laughed as well (laughs) I mean they're gonna laugh when they see our pots can I (laughs) they're gonna laugh can I see what you've been doing laughing as I've got snot running down my nose (laughs) Karen please reveal to me what you've been doing this this whole time oh my god no this is mortifying (laughs) I can't it's so Okay, if I... (laughs) It's so cracked and crappy. It's really bad. Okay, I'll show you. Okay. Okay, one, two, three. (gasps) Yours is so good! Why is Why is mine... Why does mine look so old? Yours looks very perky. Yes, well, I base them off of the real deal, sweetheart... So did I, evidently. Um, uh, These pots will be available for all who would like to see them at a later date online. (laughs) Um, It's important to to mention this was not an original idea, even though it is obviously... You'd be surprised seeing that, because uh, obviously I knew what I was doing. Although Karen's is actually very good. Um, But we have been inspired by... um, an Instagram account called Pot Your Tits Away Love, um, who makes absolutely amazing boob pots, much, much better than mine. So I've got a few more questions for you, and then we'll be out of time, sadly. But Do it. Now that you're kind of five years on, five, five years post-cancer, mm. is that fair? Yes, we can say five years cancer-free, five years whatever cancer you want to word it as. Um, how do you feel about your body and health now? I feel much more comfortable with my within myself, and I don't know whether that's because I am 30 or because I had cancer. I don't know the answer to that. Perhaps a mixture of both. And do you feel like, five years on, when you look back at who you were when you were 25 and you were coming to terms with this, do you feel more resilient I do feel more resilient now at 30 than at 25, but I think that's, again, because of what I had to go through at 24, 25. And I think... um, But then I think when something awful happens to you at any age, if I had cancer again now, who knows if I would handle it differently or better? Maybe not, because the fear would come back. Who knows? And on that fear, so what... 
I, I know we've spoken about living in that kind of duality of like fearlessness and real vulnerability. What makes you feel like you again when you're feeling kind of all consumed by those moments of fear? Comedy, like laughing about stuff. The if When the worst thing happens, at some point, however long or soon after whatever thing we're talking about has happened, to be able to laugh about it, I honestly think is, apart from actual medicine, which saves lives, I think is a lifesaver. To be able to laugh at something that... To be able to laugh at the bad, for me, is taking control of the bad and not letting it define me and... Or letting it define me, because all I talk about is my vagina, but letting it define me on my terms. That's really interesting. I think learning about how to own your story, especially when when it comes to something intimate as well. Yeah, it's a lot easier, I think, to talk about non-vagina stuff, but here we are, like, shooting the shit, just a couple of guy and girls. <laughs> that would be a great brand name, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Let's do it. I can't sing for shit, though. I've got one last question before we sadly have to part ways. Um, yes. What does living well mean to you now? Living well to me, means living truthfully to yourself and very simply not living well and going with your gut as in have a, have a I don't know, bacteria drink or whatever it is. Going with your gut in trusting when you think things are wrong or right and living truthfully and for God's sake just enjoying yourself. Because life is, here I go again, because life can be much shorter than you would want it to be or change in a way you don't want it to change. And um, we just have to enjoy ourselves. Enjoy yourself. Live your life. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been beyond a pleasure. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.